Hello and welcome to the Designing Education Podcast. In today's episode, we're talking to Hetty Chang about chronic absenteeism and how we can design schools where regular school attendance is the norm for every student. We can't wait to jump into the conversation. But before we start, we want to take a moment to remind you to subscribe to the Designing Education Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're available on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, just to name a few. Subscribe to the Designing Education Podcast and never miss an episode. Welcome to the Designing Education Podcast series. I'm Dr. Robert Balfance, Director of the Pathways to Adult Success Program and the Everyone Graduate Center at Johns Hopkins University. I'm delighted to have you join us today. This is the second conversation of our second year in a series of conversations we'll be having with education leaders, thinkers, and practitioners from across the country. We'll talk about what will it take to create an education system that truly empowers all young people and sets them on a pathway to long-term success. In today's episode, I'll be joined by Hetty Chang, founder and executive director of Attendance Works. Let's set the stage for our conversation. The evidence is clear. Students need to attend school on a regular basis to succeed. This should not surprise us. If the purpose of school is to help students learn and develop, then being there is important. Until quite recently, however, we didn't routinely measure the extent to which our students regularly attending school. Until 2017 or so, the most common measure we used to see what a school's attendance was, was something called average daily attendance, which told us how many students enrolled in school were present on a typical day. But it turns out this measure hides as much as it reveals. This is because it's very possible to have average daily attendance in the low 90s, for example. And since we all went to school, we're hardwired to see anything in the 90s as an A. But at the same time that we have 92% of our students on average in the building, we could still have 20% of our students chronically absent, missing 10% or about a month of school a year. Because we did not measure it, we we're not aware of the extent to which students were chronically absent. And as a result, did not design schools to maximize or enable regular school attendance by all. We just assumed it was the case, even when it was not. This was detrimental to the success of our students. Think about all the efforts that have gone into school improvements over the past 30 years and all the frustrations where they did not pan out. Yet we almost never checked to see if the very students the improvement was aimed to impact were able to attend school frequently enough to benefit from it. So what are the current trends and consequences of chronic absenteeism and how do we design schools to enable students to attend every day? Since the mid-00s, no one has done more to call attention to chronic absenteeism, its consequences, prevalence, and solutions than our guest today, Hetty Chang and her organization, Attendance Works. Welcome, Hetty. Hello. It's great to be here. Before we dive into designing education, we often like to start by asking our guests what a good day in school was for them. But in your case, we're going to do a little twist to this. We're going to ask, when you were growing up, what about school made you want to attend? Bob, I think it goes back to many of the things that I've heard you talk about. I went to school because, one, I had teachers and staff at school who believed in me, who saw me when I showed up, who were really offering engaging lessons. Two, I had friends who I wanted to be around. And three, I had things at school that um, drew me in, whether that was playing the flute in the band, or that was getting involved in a club. 
So, you know, making sure that you had all those three things, a great teacher, someone who cared about you, a friend you saw, and something that you liked to do. That's a great day in school. It was a place you wanted to be, right? So if you want to be there, you you'd make sure you can get there. Absolutely. And it's those relationships that you drew you in. Absolutely. So let's begin, Hetty, a little bit, just hearing a little bit about attendance work. Um, how does it help states, districts, schools, and others address chronic absenteeism? Well, let me start by going back to something you said. I think the first thing we got folks to do was actually take their data that they collect every day on attendance and notice when they had a chronic absence problem. But for us, it's not just noticing overall, do you have a big chronic absence uh, challenge, but which kids, uh, which grades, which groups of kids, um, are they from a particular neighborhood? Because once we can help them notice who's most affected, then we can help states, communities, schools, districts say, how do we understand why they're not showing up? And how do we put in place a prevention-oriented tiered system of supports that will allow us to make sure kids can show up every day and not wait too long before we take action. Yeah. I mean, it just, it's, it's quite a remarkable thing, right? That this, this idea that we were just measuring attendance in a way for historical reasons that didn't give us the most basic information we need is like, who's here on a regular basis and who isn't? Um, and when, when, when does that occur? Right. You know, <laughs> And we could have been doing that every day. We still can do that every day. But then the other challenge is even when folks have the data, they don't always right. notice it. They don't always use it. They get overwhelmed by data. Or if they notice it, they don't know what to do. So part of what we try to do is help people know what to do. That's why we have our website with over 400,000 folks a year coming to it um, so that folks can always uh, be able to answer the question, oh, I think I have a problem. What should I do? We have a ton of ideas about what you could do. It is a marvelous website um, and and, uh, everyone should go there right away. Let's talk about a little bit where we are with chronic absenteeism today. I don't think anyone's going to be surprised that at the height of the pandemic, when most schools were virtual for at least part of the year and it was back and forth and some kids were virtual and some were not. And it was just a chaotic, unpredictable situation that we saw an increase in chronic absenteeism in 2020, 2021, sort of the height of the pandemic. But what about last year and this year, right? There's There's been such a hope that we're going to return to normal or even better, return to better, right? Um, has this been the case with chronic absenteeism? Well, we're seeing that, you know, about half the states in the country have now released data on what was chronic absence by the end of last year. And my best guess is that it doubled. So wow. if we had 8 million kids in eighteen nineteen, that was before the pandemic, we have maybe 16 million or almost 30% or one out of three kids. So I also want to go back to the data from during the pandemic. Uh, the data actually during the pandemic has been a little challenging. So in uh, nineteen twenty, and your team helped us look at this. You know, we actually supposedly went from eight to six million kids chronically absent nationwide. That's a data issue. That's not a reality issue, right? Because schools stopped taking attendance. Right. There was it didn't count the kids that would have become chronically absent in March, April, and May, and June. Absolutely. And then when you look at the twenty twenty one data. Um, we saw chronic absence increase to about 10 million nationwide. And that's a complete undercount. 
Um, we saw a few states that saw decreases, a few states saw increases, but largely I think people didn't know how to take attendance uh, during virtual and hybrid learning. And one of the problems is that if you aren't taking good attendance, then you're not noticing that Bob missed too much school last year. Maybe as he comes back into school this year, I ought to offer extra supports because they're having a challenge. If you don't have good data, you can't notice and activate the supports you need. So I think we totally underestimated, but now we're seeing these incredibly high levels from the end of the last school year. And what I'm seeing, Connecticut in particular, is a um, outlier in terms of great data. As a state, they collect data every month and they then release it. And if you look at the data through the end of November uh, for this current year, you're still seeing incredibly elevated rates. Now, some of it, as you said, we all had hoped that when you opened schools and the pandemic had now become an endemic and wasn't so present, that it would allow kids just to show up to school as they did pre-pandemic. But we didn't take into account kids have had two and a half years of disrupted learning. They don't have those relationships. Some kids have fallen so far behind, you know, they feel intimidated and anxious to come back to school. There are other kids who, you know, you know, they have um, uh, taken on extra responsibilities, jobs, because maybe a family member. And then there are other kids who uh, um, they're still fearful. Their families are st still fearful about these health-related issues. And so this fall hasn't been the return to school that we all hoped for. There is still large numbers of kids who are chronically absent. And unless we develop an intentional strategy of re-engagement and connecting to them, it's not going to get better. And it's worse for our uh, kids who've been historically challenged and lacking economic and uh, school opportunities, our kids of color, you know, those populations certainly um, experienced uh, increased chronic absence. But I would also say we're also seeing another population of kids, Bob, that that I think is concerning. They're not the highest needs kids. There may be more affluent kids, more middle class kids who are also experiencing higher levels of chronic absence. Um, and I think their issues might be a little different from, you know, your most, well, economically challenged kids. They face big barriers like housing instability, transportation. Uh, they're working instead of, and they're trying to balance work and school. Um, uh, they might have no, very little access to healthcare. Your more affluent kids don't face those issues. But there are some issues like, I'm not sure school's a healthy and safe place for my kid. That's going to affect you regardless of your income. Or um, bullying issues or anxiety issues because they, you know, the, one of the challenges last year was when kids were being quarantined, we didn't have the supports in place to keep kids learning and connected to school. And, you know, there are a few exceptions. There are bright spots. But as a country, we also hoped last year, oh, we'll just be able to reopen schools and everything will be fine. And that's not what happened. In fact, last year, we had two variants, you know, uh, Delta in the fall and then uh, Omicron in the next semester, January. And the beginnings of school years are pretty critical periods of time. 
That's when kids develop routines, when they connect, get connected to peers, and when learning is scaffolded. You learn those things like those algebra concepts that you now need to be able to do well. And so when kids missed out a lot um, in the beginning of those semesters, I think it had incredibly challenging effects. So now you have many more kids who not only had attendance barriers and challenges, they have academic and behavioral challenges that are connected to how much they've been missing school. It's it's just a it's just a, a lot of complexity, a lot of uh, unmet needs, and you know, as we almost a, the theme we started with is when that connection to school get, gets broken, it doesn't just automatically restart itself. And I think so, you know, so many folks thought it just would, but the, the, that sort of habit of connection once broken does not restart itself. Um, and also, you know, think about all the kids going through the transition grades, right? That um, you know, kids that that were sort of like last saw school as normal in sixth grade are now suddenly like a ninth grader. Right. And like sort of missed like all that middle school, like development period and why that might make you anxious not to sort of show up to ninth grade. Right. So much. Absolutely. And so, you know, it's interesting because there are some universals here. Every kid, regardless of their background needs a connection to a caring adult and to peers. Um, And, I think that connection also allows you to better understand why they might not be showing up to school and what would help them. So um, for our middle class kids, maybe those connections also help them to feel less anxious and coming back. For um, kids who are facing greater challenges, maybe those connections help them feel like they trust someone in school enough to admit and share, you know what? My family's going through a really tough time. And then it gives that school some inklings about the kind of community partnerships that need to have in place so that child actually has access to the resources to get them to school. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to just uh, pivot us a little bit here um, and bring us both back to the idea of some pre-pandemic data um, for some, you know, we had some serious challenges with the chronic absenteeism even before a pandemic, right? And one area is where, you know, you can see some, you know, staggering numbers, right, is when you look at high schools. And there is a significant number of high schools pre-pandemic where the chronic absenteeism rate was 50% or higher. And when half the students in a school are not attending on a regular basis, I can't really imagine a stronger signal that the school is not designed <laughs> to enable that and, and to, you know, provide, the, meet the needs of its students and also connect them and inspire them and to want to be there to the very things you talked about at the start of, of, of our conversation, right? So what factors should we consider in designing our high schools to enable regular school attendance? I like to think about it as what are the positive conditions of learning that need to be in place to make sure kids want to be there. So we have to start there. That's the foundation for any piece of work. And this is how schools need to be designed. They need to make sure, for example, that kids feel physically, emotionally healthy and safe. They need to make sure that kids feel a sense of belonging, connection, and support. That kids feel academically engaged and that the learning that they're gaining is relevant. And they need to be surrounded by an ad- adults and students who are experiencing well-being so that everyone can have those relationships, which are, in fact, so essential to all these four positive conditions for learning. And when you see high levels of chronic absence, this is what you saw in those high schools before the pandemic. It meant those 
conditions of learning, that relationship building wasn't in place for students. Because you can't, let's say, you know, there's a lot of attendance. Um, let's say tier one universal can be, let me make sure that every time that a child misses school, there's a personalized text that goes out and says, hey, Bob, saw you miss school, missed you. We'd like to see you tomorrow. If school is in a place that you want to be, that you feel connected and supported, that you feel healthy and safe, that message is going to just fall on deaf ears. Fine. That, that doesn't mean anything to me. So when we see these high levels of um, chronic absence, it is a sign that we have to invest in these positive conditions of learning. We have to rethink the structure of school, rethink how relationship building is made as part of the school. Maybe every kid, for example, needs to have a student success, success achievement graduation plan. Some folks have done that. But then we go and make sure that every student, we find out what do they love doing? What are their hopes and dreams? And then help craft a plan that's going to make sure that school gives them those opportunities to achieve the skills that gets there and that everyone in the school knows about that plan. Because if you, again, don't feel engaged, don't feel connected, don't feel supported, um, you're not going to show up. And it might be like, I. it'd be interesting to know, I don't know if you know this, Bob, about those high schools. Some high schools you walk into and you feel pretty safe and you feel connected. Other high schools that I've walked into, I look at the facilities or, you know, the way we do sometimes even policing in schools and I have to walk through this. You know, there's other places where I walk up to that school building and I definitely don't feel safe. And so how do we, you know, look at school conditions? Um, we have um, something called the SEAT tool, the scan of uh, uh, environment and attendance tool that you can actually look on our website and it. We actually encourage uh, staff and if you can, young people and families to walk around and do this inventory of 20, you know, questions. When you walk in school, do people talk to each other? <laughs> do they support each other? Are they arguing with each other? Do you feel, see um, engaging activities? You know, I went into one elementary school when we were developing this seat tool. And this was a school, um, I won't say which part of California it was, very um, pretty, uh, a pretty low income neighborhood. Um, but they had like six different ways that kids could walk onto that school campus. And um, they, I remember walking there in the morning and there was all these kids running onto the campus and they had one lone security guard who, and, and there must've been like 60 kids, a lot of very uh, energetic boys running on. And this security guard was like yelling at the top of her lungs, trying to get control. She was set up. This wasn't going to allow for a welcoming, engaging environment. And, and I think families, if they saw that, they wouldn't quite feel safe. So sometimes we got to take a step back and say, well, how do we make our schools safe? Absolutely. And I think the one other thing, too, that, that um, is, is I think the pandemic showed some spotlight on in a way is that in many of our sort of highest poverty neighborhoods, 
Um, high school students, in particular pre-pandemic, were sort of living in pandemic-like conditions. They had heavy caregiver responsibilities. And maybe it was elder care uh, for an elderly relative that helped raise them. It might have been walking their siblings to school and then, you know, trying to get back to get public transportation to get back to their school and then knowing they'll be late and knowing if they went to their school late, they get in trouble. And then it was better just to be sick than to be late. Um, you know, others that had to work to help pay the electric bill. Um, so there was a lot of some of those conditions that we saw as like aberrations of the pandemic were actually sort of endemic <laughs> in some of these highest poverty neighborhoods pre-pandemic um, and were things that were sort of pulling kids out of school. I just think that there were kids who already had experienced those challenges and barriers before the pandemic, the pandemic increased the number uh, in extraordinary ways. And so it becomes even more important that we think about systemic approaches because, you know, one thing, and I know you and I talked about this before the pandemic, but you got 50% of your kids chronically absent. The typical tool, the hammer that we always use for when kids miss school is, I'll have a meeting and we'll pl- form a little case management plan. You cannot case manage your way out of 50% of your kids missing school. Right. You know, <laughs> it's 500, 500 kids. Right. That's like 500 kids. And and we often think, oh, I'll just hire a truancy officer, a social worker. They'll go meet with the families. Problem done. No way. That's just not going to change things. Let's say we have all these kids who... um Part of the challenge is they have to work to support their families. Well, then maybe we need to look into programs that um, like peer mentoring programs where kids get paid to work, but being in school and in ways that supports their success at school. Or we have to create different kinds of internships with employers to say, you know, yes, it would both reinforce the relevance of the curriculum for what they're learning, if you could connect that to the curriculum, but it also allows you to negotiate with the employers so they're not having the kids work at the time when they need to be in school. So, but that's not a one-on-one solution. No. That's a programmatic or policy solution and maybe involving, you know, the city government because uh, they can bring together employers um, or other partners. Um, it, it's a much more systemic approach than we've typically had. And certainly, you know, case management is not the solution. Right. Absolutely. 100% agree that when you get those rates that high, you have to look for a much more systematic and structural or, or design solutions. I'm going to I'm going to pivot us again and bring us back to health. And just, you know, I want to frame this by that, you know, when most people think about kids missing school, they tend to think they they're missing school because they had the cold or they got a flu or maybe there was a family vacation for two extra days. We've now had this pandemic and we've talked about it's not over yet. Um, There's still right. There's still COVID out there and people are still getting sick from it. Are schools learning a little better how to address these parental concerns about health and safety because of COVID? Have you seen any progress in that area? Well, where I see the most progress, and I hope it can get sustained, is I do see more schools investing in school-based health personnel. So bringing school nurses onto school campuses, which I think is so essential. And and part of that is because, um, yes, certainly we have a challenge of more kids are sick You've got, you know, the triple threat right now going on with COVID, RSV, the flu. But I also think we have a mental health crisis that's going on. Yes, yes, absolutely. Unfortunately. And there's a lot of physical 
things that sound like illness, but they're actually connected to your mental health and well-being, right? Um, so now you also have a pandemic and a, a disease, COVID, where got everything. I have no idea what's a COVID symptom or not, Bob. I couldn't tell you anything. <laughs> everything feels like a COVID symptom. But you have families now who are worried about their little ones. You got to diagnose correctly. If a kid is feeling anxious, the best thing you can do is get them into the routine of showing up to school. When I was a mom and my kids were little, I actually had teachers who helped me who said, you know, don't think so-and-so's stomachache is a stomachache, show up. And I did that. And then eventually the stomachache went away. And if you don't get into that routine, it actually can get worse because the anxiety builds. On the other hand, kids got COVID, got some... contagious disease is not feeling well and is really, you know, got a fever and should be home. You want them home. How do I know the difference? I think it's more uncertain than ever before. Having school nurses or having telehealth, having health resources where they might ask you a set of questions that helps you assess which thing do I think is going on? Or if I had a school nurse so that I know that if my kid did get sick, that school would be able to call me and make a quick assessment and have me come and pick them up, that make, might make me more willing to try sending them to school. Um, but we, so that's about an investment in a school health infrastructure that we haven't made. Uh, as a society, and we need to be making, and so many places use their COVID relief dollars to do that. Yeah, and I think it's really essential this idea about you know getting more school-based health personnel and more nurses. And again, many of our listeners might who you know went to a school that had a nurse might not realize that that's not necessarily the case that every school has a nurse or even a part-time nurse. I remember, you know, very unfortunately, some high schools we worked with in Baltimore who didn't have nurses. And if a kid had an asthma attack, they had to call 911 and send the EMTs. And just can you think about just the this the overall like, A, that's not a good response. The kid is waiting wild to get any kind of treatment. And then the sheer expense of like the only thing we could do is call 911, right? When this is a, a manageable chronic health condition if the school had the resources and the and the design to do it. And that's just, you know, I just want to close out health talking about, you know, there, I know that we both know folks that have done work in this area, try to, you know, find ways that to help schools manage kids, chronic health conditions like asthma, which is a major contributor to chronic absenteeism. Bob, could I just add a little bit to that? I think there's certainly, you know, if schools know which kids have chronic health conditions, having a health plan, having make sure that people know so that um, they're, if that kid has an asthma attack, that you know um, how to support them. But I also think there are some simple things around prevention that we need to be investing in. Um, we need to make sure where all kids are screened uh, for typical health issues. Um, you know, one thing that happened during the pandemic is folks didn't go to their doctors as much. They didn't. And if you don't always have access to health care, then maybe you didn't get those screenings or your basic immunizations. Um, there is um, a lot of things that can that have nothing to do with COVID, but kids miss school for dental related issues. You know, that's a huge challenge um, for when kids don't have glasses, uh, it can get make them feel embarrassed because they don't know what's going on in the classroom and they miss school, um, as well as affect their learning while they are in school. So we have to do so much of a better job of making sure kids have their basic health needs met. 
Uh, and then we can also have more of the infrastructure to deal with situations like when we have COVID and families need more advice about what to do. So I'm going to pivot us one more time. Uh, we've talked a lot about, you know, some some things that make it challenging for kids to be in school every day. Um, and one we've, we've talked about a little bit and has sort of been in the news lately is this idea of school avoidance. And it goes back to our thing of, you know, all of us at some point or another had that stomach ache when we didn't want to be in school. Um, but, you know, there's this sense that, you know, when students are actively working to avoid or refusing to attend school. Um, and this is, you know, as we said, it's almost more prevalent coming out of the pandemic because kids went through that period of isolation and then sort of the, the social anxiety of going back to often with new peers and new adults that they don't know. Um, so have you seen any, any promising practices in this area? Um, and do you have a sense of this is actually a growing challenge or just something that we're like paying more attention to? I think this issue of anxiety, though I have mostly anecdotal evidence, Bob, it's hard to have hard evidence of this is a growing challenge. And I think it's very connected to the fact uh, that kids were disconnected to their peers and adults, but also that many more kids are anxious because they missed so much school, they're not quite sure how to re-enter into the classroom. I also think this is um, about making sure every kid is connected to peers and adults. I know that I, you know, you and I are a bit of um, broken records on the same point, but that's because I think we both agree in the same way. I know that kids feel more comfortable walking into a classroom when they already have a buddy in the classroom that they know cares about, likes them. And, you know, that will help with a lot of anxiety. I think the other thing is we really have to shift from blame to um, thinking about a much more trauma-informed approach. We know that when kids have experienced some of form of trauma, the worst thing you can do is say, what's wrong with you? But the way we've historically responded to absences has always been, what's wrong with you? You know, why don't you care about school? How come you didn't show up? When that doesn't help. And if a kid is feeling anxious, that what's wrong with you will just make, make them even more anxious. So... How do we say, hey, I noticed that you're nervous. You're not coming in. What's going on? And what would help? So making that shift to a trauma-informed approach has never been more essential. And at the same time, I still think, you know, there are policies. Like in some states, you can still suspend kids for being truant. What a crazy idea, you know, it, that helps absolutely no one. Um, You've been absent, so miss some more days. That'll fix it. Right. And clearly now you're now 10 days out and you have no idea what's going in the classroom. Your anxiety is going to build even further. So we really have to shift the way we think about absences to being it's a sign that we need to use all our resources to engage and understand what's happening with a student and their family. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm agreeing that we're, we're sort of at an anecdotal phase of this right now. But, you know, the other thing I, I've seen is that, you know, in some ways, like kids went to school pre-pandemic because it was just the normative thing to do. Right. It was sort of abnormal in many cases not to go to school. But during the pandemic, the, the normal thing became staying at home. And at some level, they found that the sky didn't fall in. We, we know many kids struggled, but not all kids struggled. Right. And and. They 
also found that learning could happen online. It didn't have to be in person. Um, so now we have, I think you have some kids that like, well, the sky didn't fall in and I am okay if I, I missed a lot of school and I can still learn online. And, you know, and some of those things I think are in play too. Um, this, this series of conversation reminds me of is that, you know, but I think another thing schools can need to sort of build in more that, and we, we've done a lot of work on our, in our, our end of the everyone graduate center is sort of these early warning on track, what we're now calling student success systems, right? Which helps schools do this like close progress monitoring of all kids, because as we've talked about with attendance, you know, it's not as simple as there's a few kids that start the year with attendance problems and, you know, they continue there. That's a group of kids. And that's why like the first month matters that we understand in the first month, there's some kids not coming regularly and we want to do something soon, not wait for the end of the year. But then we also know there's other kids as we talked about the great complexity of the many reasons you could not be in school on a regular reason where stuff happens during the year. And if we're not paying close attention to it, again, you know, it, it can surprise us, right? Because it's it's hard in the, in the day-to-day bubble for teachers to get a quick, you know, just intuitive sense of, oh, that kid hasn't been here quite so often. In an elementary classroom, perhaps, right? Because you you spend the whole day with them, but in middle and high school, less so. So I think that's another feature schools have to think about is, you know, embracing some of these both predictive indicators and tiered intervention systems, right? So they can really stay on top of this, right? And uh, address it sooner rather than later. Yeah. And Bob, I would say it's the data systems, the dashboards that allow you to easily, you know, interpret and see. It's also um, helping schools to really form teams and run effective teams. Because any of these issues, especially if you've got a systemic barrier, one person alone isn't going to change it. Um, And often you need administrator support. Uh, You know, maybe you find out that one of the issues is there's actually a lack of safety in a wing of the high school. And any kid who walks in through that wing, they're like not even walking in. They're turning around and going back home because they're not so sure it's safe. Well, then you'd have to understand what are the ways we can improve that, right? Or let's say we find out looking at that data, you know, this ninth grade teacher has a lot worse attendance than all of their other peers. Uh, You're going to have to unpack, well, is it there's some behavioral issues? Or maybe the teacher needs a little support in creating engaging classroom, uh, you know, so that kids really want to show up. Or maybe they're actually engaging in some punitive approaches around classroom discipline that are driving kids out. At that point, you need an administrator to help. So both having the eyes and ears to under look at the data, but also unpack the issues, but also having enough um, authority and, uh, you know, so that you can actually take action when you understand that there's a significant issue. Um, and I do, you know, I do, I, I know I just gave this one teacher example. I do want to say I, I, our teachers have done some yeoman's work. I mean, amazing work rising to the challenge. And I know a lot of them are tired and exhausted. And so how we also think of systems of support is not just for students. It's also for our faculty. 
Uh, and so that again requires systems though. That's not, um, what a social worker can change. And I so worry that we are getting better at the data, especially as chronic absence has made it into many, many state, you know, 36 states have this in their accountability metrics, but it's not enough to have and even see the data. We have to have the people power and the analytical skills to be able to understand and address the underlying barriers that are causing kids to miss so much school. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to your point too, like school's got to be a place where the teacher wants to be also. Let's, let's end though by talking policy. And you brought this up that under the uh, Every Student Succeeds Act, um, chronic absentee was, was adapted as an accountability measure in 36 states plus DC. It's really the first time that federal and state policy directly addressed chronic absenteeism. And I think we both agree of nothing else that greatly increased the number of schools and districts measuring and paying attention to it, um, at least to an extent. Um, if you could write the chronic absenteeism section of the next reauthorization of the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, what would you include? I have mixed feelings, Bob, about what should happen at the federal versus the state and local level. Um, at the federal level, I think the fact that we have to report chronic absence and we even have sort of a day of attendance defined as showing up half, at least half the day of school. I think that is fabulous um, because you have to report it up. I was actually glad in this last version that it was sort of up to states to decide to want to take on this measure because chronic absence gets addressed when it's the coalition of the willing. When folks don't feel forced to address it, but they realizing that addressing it um, can really help advance what they want. Um, at the state level, I want to make sh the, the one other thing though, I would ask at the federal level, I'd love to do a data, some data work if we could. If we could make sure that when it gets reported, one, people can't take days out. I'm worried sometimes that people want to take certain kinds of health or quarantine related days, and they want to say that doesn't count. And I think that's highly dangerous. I don't. Well, this whole idea of excuse the unexcused, like that's, you know, there's so much variability there. And what really matters is the kid's not in school. Absolutely. So making sure that we're all collecting robust data, making sure that you aren't um, having kids disenrolled when their attendance status gets so bad because then it makes it look like, you know, you're doing better. Lying to ourselves doesn't help us help kids. So there might be certain kinds of data quality pieces, but then the other piece I would want federal legislation to do is better incentivize making sure that different kinds of initiatives, investments in expanded learning, investments in community schools, investments in Head Start expansion, um, those are all things that can help to address chronic absence. But we often operate in such silos. Investments in health services, how can we use this as a metric that's being used to allocate and knit together resources um, is really important. But I think where a huge amount of the work isn't at the federal level, it's at the state and local level. It's how they um, make sure 
that schools have teams that will look at their data and address it. And maybe it's not even just an attendance team. Maybe it's their multi-tiered system of supports or their, you know, PBIS team, um, because we have to make sure that we're not overwhelming our local schools with the amount of teams, but we're making sure that they're looking at attendance behavior, course failure together. Um, uh, And so I think that's about state practice and guidance Whereas the feds is more about investment in the kinds of resources that allow you uh, to uh, address chronic absence. Yeah, my my pat one would be that I would have some, you know, a a grant program where they could get funds to help address absenteeism and, you know, strategically. But in order to get that, they'd have to do, uh, you know, um, an attendance root cause analysis where they, you know, basically... On a given day, all the kids that are absent, you know, really work to try to figure out why, right? So they at least have that ground understanding of, you know, what 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 are some of the driving forces in their school? Because we pointed out there are many, many, many causes, and it's going to vary by place and time, which are the which are the ones that are really driving it. And I just think any kind of incentive that gets schools to really get that ground knowledge would be would be useful as well. I think that's a great idea, and it it, um, reflects the fact that you can't, from a federal state level, know what the causes are. That's really a local-level school um, activity. The one other thing I might offer up, though, on the data side, and this could be both at the federal and the state level, I wish we had much more um, public reporting of chronic absence. Uh, I think investing in systems and even requiring more public reporting, which some of it's required, but I don't think we've kind of figured out how to make sure that all districts, I mean, all states are reporting it. But when you can have people um, share their data, and again, I would call out, there's a number of states, California, it's not, uh, it's end of the year data, but has a really easy to use interactive data system. Connecticut um, has a great data system. Uh, There are a number of places where having that data easy to use and access for any stakeholder allows for more people to be thinking about, is this a problem in my situation in my community? And should I get involved so I can help to address it? Well, thank you, Hetty. It's been a rich conversation. And as we close out, um, are there any last words you'd like to share with our audience or let them know where they can learn more about what we discussed today? Well, certainly I invite all of you to uh, come to our website, www.attendanceworks.org. And Bob, you're a partner in this. I would really encourage everyone to join our 2023 attendance awareness campaign, where we'll have four webinars, resources, and toolkits so that you can launch awareness and take action on uh, chronic absence in your own communities. Wonderful. Thank you. To bring our discussion to a close, I would like to thank Hetty again for sharing her insights and learnings on chronic absenteeism and how design schools enable all students to be there. Traditionally, we have seen attendance as a student and family responsibility, something which schools only responded to when students missed enough days to trigger truancy laws. Even today, as we've heard, um, there are districts where missing too much school could get you suspended, fined, sent to court, or even juvenile detention. Yet the evidence is clear. Punitive measures rarely, if ever, work. And there is much schools can do to work with students and families to create the conditions under which they can attend on a regular basis. 
Students, as we've heard, were connected to school, for example, attend school more often. And students are connected to school when they believe, as Hetty started us off today with, right? When there's an adult who knows and cares about them as a person, when they have a supportive peer group, when they're engaged in pro-social activities, and when they feel welcome in school for who they are. Schools could be organized to make this true for all students. It's not some heavy lift, right? This is basic human connection work. Building and strengthening students' connections to schools has never been more important than it is today in the wake of a pandemic which broke them. And there's no better place to start looking on how to do this and address chronic absenteeism overall than Attendance Works websites and their playbook. Before we let you go, we want to ask you to please subscribe to Designing Education to stay up to date on all the revolutionary work happening in education. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a five-star review. Also, please share the show with a friend or colleague or on social media. This has been Robert Balfance for the Everyone Graduate Center and the Pathways to Adult Success Project. Thanking everyone for listening and inviting you to listen to the other episodes in our Designing Education series, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Onward and be well.